Too much. You guys are too much. That's a that's a typical Sunday. Gary gets up every Sunday to that, just so you know. Wow. Every awesome. every Sunday. Um, hey, we have loved uh, your passion for the scripture, uh, how you shared your story with us. Um, I've been in some conversation with folks, and in some ways it's almost overwhelming because we sit through uh, multiple sessions, and each time we're like, oh, oh, I heard that. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, what'd you hear? And you go, oh, I, I heard something. It was good. It was good when I heard it, but then I heard something else. And uh, so we're excited for, as you walked us through salt and light and this call, and it's continued. I don't know if you've heard this, but it, it's regularly saying um, you see Jesus in a new way, and he's going to cause you to see your world in a new way. And you're saying it a lot of different ways, but that you're calling us to that. And so last night, if you saw that map when you came in over there, uh, we had many stations in here, but that, that map, there's a lot of sticky notes on it. People prayed, they laid hands on it, they, they looked at it, they prayed over it, and that's the Bay Area right there, um, the peninsula being our little slice of the Bay Area. So I thought before you jump into um, your final session for us, um, I was going to put you on the spot. I, I told him I was going to do this, but um, and ask you, you're, you're sharing with us this weekend, and God, God designed for you to be here with us. If you could boil it down to one thing that you had to say, and I'm, I'm a, a do, uh, like, hey, as from, from one believer to another, if this was the last time I ever spoke to your community, and I, I, was, I could say it in a couple sentences, and then years later, I heard that you did it. I'd be so proud. Can you boil that down? That's a, that's a tall order. But uh, so I'm going to turn that over to you. And then after that, we're going to let you jump right into, right into the message. But uh, we were thinking, we were just talking about there's so much you've stirred in our soul. Um, and we know you're a man of action. So I think to be encouraged by uh, that, that clarion call to action for our community would be really rich. Well, I, I would just say that Peninsula Covenant Church you are located in one of the most, when you look at the metropolitan area that you are in, one of the most multicultural, multi-ethnic, diverse, yet unchurched metropolitan areas in the United States. And I just sense that the Lord wants to say to you that you need to receive where you've been positioned and that you ought not be intimidated by it you ought not ignore it. You ought to fully embrace that God has rooted you in the metropolitan area in which you were in for a big, audacious, transformative reason. And so why not set the pace? Don't wait for somebody else to say, okay, we're going to step out there and kind of be the model or the pioneers of what the church could be if it trusted God more, if it stepped out on faith more, if we stretched ourselves out of our comfort zones, who would we be on our jobs, in our communities? Who, who would we be as the church in this place? Who would I be at my middle school, at my high school? Who would I be in college? Who would we be? And... Um, you know, in the evangelical covenant denomination in which you reside, we tend to, to not want to in any way come across as arrogant. You know, it's kind of the Swedish, but yet Midwest, like I'm from Minnesota, so I kind of know that, that Midwest Minnesota culture that's kind of at the roots of the denominational movement that you're in. It's kind of like, well, I don't want to come across like, I'm, like I know everything, or I'm prideful, or I'm arrogant, or that I'm, I'm a know-it-all, so I'm going to just kind of wait and See if somebody else will step out, and then I'll just follow them. 
and I'm saying no peninsula, I think you're supposed to step out. You're supposed to be the pace setter so that others in the body of Christ, in other denominations, in other movements, in other parts of the bay, will see what God is doing through you, and they will be inspired to not give up. I don't know what you're going to do with that, but that was all I had, really. There you go. <laughs> uh, the other thing I should do before I get into this word is uh, my wife, Denisha, is here, so I should have her stand up or wave her hand. And... Don't judge her by her gear, though. Oh, my gosh. I didn't think she was going to do that. That's funny. You, like, like popped your collar a little bit when you said that. That's funny. Oh, and because of Carlos, that was the first time my wife gave me a standing ovation. That was awesome. <laughs> That's right. Clap for me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, you still got to go home with me, so just so you know. All right. Um, we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. The, the, at the, really going to look at the close of chapter 9 and the beginning of, of chapter 10. So we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, beginning with verse 35. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, beginning with verse 35, and we're going to go into the first verse of chapter 10. Verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and to send out laborers into his harvest. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. From this scripture, I want to speak to you on the title, A Mission for the Church. A Mission for the Church. God, as we gather in this space for this last session before we go home, God, give us a word, speak to us in a way that maybe would inspire us to know who we are to be as we leave this place. Who we are to be as your church who we are to be as your beloved children, who are we to be as those that follow you to your glory, that your kingdom might be known to the lost, to the broken. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I have a friend named Adrian, and Adrian lives in South Carolina, and uh, he goes around, his full-time job is he, he goes around speaking to people about Jesus He's an evangelist, is what they would say in Scripture. And he goes around and he speaks to young people. He speaks in, 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 to high school students. He speaks to college students. He speaks to adults. Uh, and, he, and he's really out there trying to talk to people about Jesus that don't know Jesus yet. And uh, every once in a while, I get a chance to connect with him. And a few years ago, he and I were in Denver, Colorado, uh, at, a, at a restaurant uh, called Claim Jumpers. Maybe you heard of Claim Jumpers before? Uh, I think there's some in the Bay Area here. I mean, uh, Claim Jumpers' claim to fame, no pun intended, was when they first came out, they were like 
they were known for like the portions of food you would get when you would order it. They were the one restaurant in Denver where they started where the offensive linemen of the Denver Broncos would get full with just one plate. Like normally offensive linemen in the National Football League will look at a menu and order two entrees so they can get full. But Claim Jumpers was known for they could fill up a Denver Bronco offensive lineman with one entree, right? So we're at Claim Jumpers because uh, Adrian used to play football and he, he used to be a tight end. So he's a, that's close enough to an offensive lineman. So uh, he and I are in Claim Jumpers eating and, you know, he's always wanting to talk to somebody about Jesus, right? So the, the lady that was serving us, uh, she came to um, take our order and Adrian looks at her and I need to tell you, Adrian is crazy. So Adrian looks at her and he says, you know, me and my friend Ephraim, we really love Jesus. We love Jesus so much that if we thought about it, like if we really thought about how much we love Jesus, we would explode all over this table like guts and everything. Would you have to clean that up? And she just looked at us like, you're crazy. I was like, yeah, he is. So she took our order. And she came back with, with our food. And he said, hey, did I mention that me and my friend Ephraim really love Jesus? She said, yeah, you did. He goes, oh, I was just checking. <laughs> so, so then she comes later with our bill. And he said, okay, okay, I know you think I'm crazy. She said, I do. And he said, but I, I, I just want to ask you one question. And he, he took a napkin and he ripped it up in different pieces. And he said, uh, he said let's pretend that this is your life here at work. And he put it on the table and he said, uh, let's pretend this piece of the napkin is your life with your family. And he put it down on the table. He said, let's pre-, he goes, do you, do you go to college? She said, yes, I'm in college. He goes, this is your life at college. He said, do you have a boyfriend? She said, yes, I have a boyfriend. He said, okay, this is your life with your boyfriend. And then he said, in this napkin, this is your life when nobody's around. When nobody's looking and you're all by yourself, he said, so the only question I wanted to ask you is if you were going to give one of these pieces of your life to Jesus, which piece would you give him? And she said, you're not only crazy, you're stupid. She said, if I was going to give my life to Jesus, I would give my whole life to Jesus. I wouldn't give a piece of my life to Jesus. He said, exactly. So he said, so I, I, I was just wondering because I don't think you're a Christian. He said, and I'm not saying that like to be judgmental or anything. I just, I just sensed that you weren't. And so he said, I was just thinking that before me and my friend Ephraim left, if you wanted, we could take all the pieces of your life and we could pray over him that Jesus would come into all the pieces, which would be your whole life. And then she just walked away with his credit card, which I realized he was paying. I was like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> He's paying. Yes. So I was, hey, I ain't got to pay. Thank you. I was, that was a reason to praise God for me. So she comes back, and uh, I, I was looking down. And so I remember she set down the bill with his credit card so he could fill it out. And, and, uh, but she didn't move. Usually, like, you know, the servers, they put that down. I'm like, is she staying because she wants to see how much he's tipping? Like, why is she still? But then I looked up, and I noticed she was crying. And uh, I also didn't notice that she had picked up all those pieces of the napkin that he had ripped up, and she had them in her hand, and she dropped them on the table, and she said, I want to give my whole life to Jesus. You know, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, or just recently, but trying to figure out 
what it looks like to give your whole life to Jesus, like that's something that you can receive like in a moment when you say, I want to give my whole life to Jesus. I want Jesus to come into my whole life. I want God to show up in my whole life. But you know, as someone who's been a Christian for a long time, man, I mean, I think I've been a Christian for like 30 years, I think now. Wow. And what I'm realizing after being a Christian for 30 years is that it's a daily ongoing journey of discovering what it really means for your whole life, your whole life, to be about following Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, to live your life as God's child. And, and one of the ways to go deeper in having God be present in your, in your whole life is to actually join God in God's mission. Some people think that the journey of giving your whole life to God is trying to become perfect. So they go, you know what, I'm trying to, I'm just, I I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to think the wrong thing. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. And then when we think the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, then we wonder, does God love us? Are we really a Christian? Is God mad at me? Is, 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 you know, is God going to beat me up? Am I now out of God's family because I thought the wrong thing, said the wrong thing? This is not to excuse doing wrong, but it is to say that God's love and God's grace is so powerful that it is there to surround us when we think the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, and have a repentant heart. So, so God showing up in every area of our heart is not about being perfect. God showing up in every area of our life is not that, you know, um, I, I never say the wrong thing, I never think the wrong thing, I never do the wrong thing. Um, really, God showing up more fully in all of who we are is when we give ourselves to joining God in God's mission. I think the more you give yourself to God's mission in the world, the more godliness and holiness is going to show up in your life. You know, it's like the more you give yourself to God's love, it's like the more your behavior will kind of align with God's stuff. But if you're just sitting on the sideline, just trying to just like... Make sure that you do everything right and don't make a mistake and look good in front of people. Then you're really losing out on the fuller joy of what it means to be a Christian. The fuller joy, the fuller adventure of being a follower of Jesus is being in the mission of Jesus as you follow Jesus. We were created We were reborn in Christ Jesus to make disciples, to see about God's kingdom showing up so that lives are transformed. If if you have never experienced someone discovering Jesus because of your life, if you've never experienced someone discovering God's love and God's grace and God's justice and God's truth because of your life, I don't mean this to guilt trip you or beat you up or any or to judge you. I'm just saying then you're missing out on like the coolest part of the adventure of following Jesus. 
Following Jesus is not a checklist of like, okay, I went to church. Okay, I did my devotional. Okay, I read a Christian book. Okay, I went to the church leadership retreat at Mission Springs. Maybe they'll leave me alone now. And No, I'm serious about this. Really, what it means to be Christian is joining God in God's mission in the world. To see broken people blessed. To see lost people found. To be like a superhero of the kingdom of God. To God's glory, not your own. And I think that's, that's why I, I think the church is losing traction in this nation. Is because we've forgotten that the, the, the fruit of being Christian is not our attendance. That, that's good. I mean, it's great that we're connected to a church. It's great that we read our Bible. It's great that we pray. But really, at the, at the end of the day, the, the real fruit, the, the, the real power of being a Christian is our lives being transformed, is a difference being made in a neighborhood, is, is are people finding peace, are marriages being restored, are men finding out that godly manhood is better for them than the manhood they've been chasing? That women realize that the power of being God's daughter and, and, and discovering godly womanhood and knowing that they are deeply beloved by God before they have to chase love out of anybody else to really discover the power and the liberation of being God's woman. So that if you know you're God's woman, if you're in an environment that doesn't affirm women in leadership, you can say, well, I don't know what that's about, but I know the God I serve believes that, that, that a woman like me was created to have a voice and to be empowered to transform lives, to know who you are in God and see lives and communities transformed because you know who you are. That is really at the end of the day. And I think there's an enemy that doesn't want us to live our Christian lives like that. I think that there's an enemy that wants us to live our Christian lives feeling ashamed and guilty and beat up every time we make a mistake. I think there's an enemy that just wants us to just check it off. I went to youth group this week. I went to church. I did that. I read my devotional. Okay. I gave my, I was baptized. I know who's not going to heaven. I'm going, but I know people that ain't. Like, I think that God wants us to love the unloved, to, to be present with the marginalized and the outcast. Okay, don't just take my word for it. Let me briefly go through this word and give you three points, and then I'll, I'll get out of your way. Um, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9 is an interesting chapter because we, we get to see Jesus not just talking about the kingdom of God, but demonstrating what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. He's, he's showing to his followers, if you're following me, this is what I'm about. If you're hanging out with me, this is what I'm about. Do you want to be about this too? And so um, we see it. If you would read chapter 9, you would find at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus is in a house teaching and a person who's paralyzed is brought in. And Jesus speaks to this man and he's able to walk out of the house. Like he couldn't, he was paralyzed. He couldn't, he couldn't use his muscles. He couldn't, he couldn't walk around. He was just laying on a mat. He was carried in. He was brought in. But he was able to walk out. And not only had the mobility to walk out of the house, but the spiritual mobility to go from this realm into the heavenly realms one day. Then Jesus meets a tax collector. Tax collector represented an, an economic swindler. 
a cheater. I mean, uh, my wife and I just found out that, like, uh, like you know, where, where we bank, this bank is, like, going through a bunch of scandal because the bank created, like, false accounts. And so they created all these accounts, and, and they were, they were they, these, these people really didn't have accounts with money in it like this, but the bank wanted to balance their books. They didn't want their shareholders, they didn't want their board of directors to think that they were struggling financially, so they made up false accounts. So when Jesus met the tax collector, it would be like he was meeting the president of this bank that did all this messed up stuff, right? It was like he, 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 but yet, and people would say, don't hang out with that guy, he cheated. He, he lied. That guy should be in prison. Don't hang out with him. If he over... Now, I'm not saying that actually the CEO of the bank actually did it himself, but it happened under his watch. So that's why he had to step down. I'm not saying he has to go to prison. But I'm saying this is what it was like. When Jesus met the tax collector, it was like someone who was over a system or giving oversight to a system that had cheated people, Right? I mean, I hope that's all it was because, I mean, we still got our accounts at the bank. I hope it's all good. I hope, hope I can make a withdrawal at the ATM later this week. You know what I'm saying? You know, and, 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 you know, so anyway, Jesus met this tax collector. I really went a long way with that metaphor. But Jesus was with this tax collector. People were like, don't hang out with him. Don't hang out with him. And he had lunch with him. He befriended him. He had fellowship with him. Jesus is like, hey, if you follow me, this is what I'm about. I, I build relationships with, I build friendships with, I break bread with people that other people despise and don't like and say, why are you hanging with him? Then uh, a, a person in government, you know, we, we like government people nowadays, don't we? We just love them, right? So uh, someone who represented military and government power comes to Jesus and says, uh, my daughter died, but would you come see about her? So Jesus says, okay, so Jesus is on the way, but on the way there's a woman, a diseased woman. In the culture at the time, women were already second-class citizens in the culture, but if you were a diseased woman and nobody could figure out how to cure you, you were an outcast. Because the thought was, if you have a disease and the doctor's, can't cure it, it must be because you've sinned so bad that you're cursed. Or your parents sinned so bad. Somebody did something. Either you did something or somebody related to you did something because normally every sickness that somebody has should get cured. Could you imagine if we lived in a culture like that today? That if somebody found out a sickness or a disease that they had or something and they they went to the doctor and the doctor's like, there's nothing we can do. And then we would just say, you're cursed. And, and that's how this woman was treated. Nobody wanted to hang around her. Nobody wanted to touch her. Nobody wanted her in the vicinity. And yet this woman, this woman risked everything, and she pressed through a crowd of people. You know, the Bible says she pressed through the crowd. But I wonder if really what's happening is people in the crowd that thought they were godly saw her coming, and they're like, ooh, let me get out her way. And they kind of just made like a little opening for her because they didn't want her touching them because they didn't want what she had to get on them. And she, she pressed through the crowd, and she touched the clothes of Jesus, and she was healed. This is what following Jesus is about. Outcasts, diseased people are able to touch 
God. They're able to, the the untouchable are able to touch God. Um, Then he goes to the funeral. And I mean, that would have been crazy. I mean, you know, you, I mean, we read this now like it's just normal. Like, it's oh, that's cool. Look at what Jesus did. No, he went to a funeral. If I was at a funeral and some person walked down and said something in the coffin and the person in the coffin got up, I ain't going to say, oh, look what Jesus did. I'm running. I'm, that's just me. I'm like, this is a horror film. I'm gone. I don't what this is, some extraterrestrial thing. What is, you don't get, get back in the coffin. So I can do this funeral. <laughs> you know, we were crying over you. What you doing? But you did owe me 50 bucks. Can I get it now since you're waking up? You owe me $50. But um, that would be scary. But what, what this shows us is that the, the mission of Jesus includes the paralyzed. It includes the tax collector or the economic swindler or the person that oversees economic wrongness. Like, like that, Jesus, the mission of Jesus represents like fellowshipping and breaking bread with them. The mission of Jesus includes being, putting yourself in a position to be touched by the diseased and the outcast. The mission of Jesus includes speaking to those that have been left for dead. I'm not saying go to a funeral and go up to the coffin and say something. What I am saying is that story should at least say to the church that we ought to have a mission for all people that have been left for dead. I was in, a, I told you I was in Kenya a few years ago when I told you about going on safari. The other thing that happened when I was in Kenya was um, I went to this poverty-stricken town called Dandora. It's, it's one of the most poverty-stricken places on the planet, Dandora, Kenya. Uh, the, 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 the town is so poor that uh, they don't have, you know, adequate sanitation, so the garbage just piles up like mountains, like hills, these big hills. And so when you go in Dandora, you know how like, you know, you, you drive around the Bay Area and you see mountains, right? You, you come into Dandora and you see mountains of garbage. And it smells like hills and mountains of garbage. But people live there with no clean running water, with no electricity in Dandora. There, there are some families that are so poor in Dandora that when they have a baby, and they feel like they're too poor to raise it, they take the baby to one of those garbage hills and they lay the baby down and they pray over the baby and they walk away. Because they think it's better for the baby to die being prayed over than for them to try to raise the baby in that kind of poverty. But I met a woman named Helen who's a part of a church. And what they do, they, they have found that following Jesus, the mission of God, looks like this. They, there's a group of women, and Helen and this group of women, they just stand and wait, and they watch a family every day. They station themselves at one of these trash hills, and they watch the, the family put the baby down and pray over the baby and walk away, and then they go over there, and they pray over the baby again and give the baby a new name, and they take the baby back to church. I met one of those babies who's now 19 years old when I met him. His name was Tommy, and he was getting ready to go to college. And then he was going to go on and get his master's degree in business, and he wanted to come back and figure out business solutions to bring a better life standard to Dandora. And he was fired up about it. 
But what if someone hadn't followed Jesus to the hill? He wouldn't have been there to tell that story. Okay, I'm really going to get to the three points now. So here's the first point. Uh, when, I, when I began here in verse 35 of chapter 9, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Following the mission of God, following Jesus as a Christian, is about receiving kingdom compassion. It says that Jesus looked at a multitude of people. As Jesus was going from town to town, village to village, what he was seeing is no matter where you go, the suburbs, the rural towns, the inner cities, no matter where you go, it seems like there's a multitude of people that need transformation in their life. They need salvation. They need transformative truth. Uh, he, wherever he would go, the synagogue, the, the, wherever he was at, the villages, the towns, the cities, he would see people that were sick, that were outcasts, that were left for dead, that were arrogant, that were economic swindlers, that were cheating stuff. He just saw this over, I mean, just, wherever he went, this is what he saw. But you know what his response to that was? Compassion. Jesus can look at a wealthy business guy that's cheated people, Jesus can look at a homeless person. Jesus can look at a prostitute. Jesus can look at, at a gang member. Jesus can look at someone who's walked away from their spouse and kids. Jesus can look at an inmate in prison. Jesus can look at a middle schooler that will not do one thing that they're asked to do. That's none of y'all in here. I'm just talking about another middle schooler I met a few years ago. But what I'm saying is Jesus can look at all of that. And the response is the same. This word for compassion, I'm glad I'm telling you this a little bit before lunchtime, means, it, the word means guts. It means intestines. That's what it means, intestines. It, what it really means is, that it, it, could it mean that when God looks at broken, sinful, rebellious, angry, lost people, it touches his guts. It's at the most inside part of God gets touched. Well, what's at the most inside part of who God is? I would say love. God gets angry, yes. God, God judges, yes. But at the core of who God is and why you and I had the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is because at the guts of God is love. The question becomes, what is in our guts? What is at the core of who we are? Is it love for people? Is it opening up a space? I mean, it can be as small as you're at school and there's somebody that nobody sits by at lunch and you go sit by them because there's something in your gut that says to do that. There's somebody that you work with. They really need somebody that maybe will just take a little bit more time to listen to them. And something in your gut tells you to do that. The guts of God is touched by the broken, by sinners, by the outcast, by the left for dead. Then Jesus says, um, he says to his disciples, verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
And then it says, verse 1, and he called to him his 12 disciples. So Jesus says, you know what? This world is full of lost, broken people, people that don't know God. You know what? We should pray. You know, we should pray that more people would join God's mission for the broken, for the lost. Let's pray. And then he says, no, you go. So not only is it about kingdom compassion, it's about kingdom responsibility. Will we, will we join God and take responsibility for brokenness, for dysfunction around us, in love, with compassion? Um, the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament is kind of a cool book. There's a city, Jerusalem, that is in ruins. It's been burned down. It's been destroyed. And um, word gets out to somebody who has roots in this city named Nehemiah that the city is, is in ruins and that it needs to be rebuilt, that it needs to be repaired. And you know what Nehemiah does? Even though Nehemiah was not a part of the group that burned the city down or destroyed it, he, he prays and he asks God to forgive him. He takes responsibility. He says, God, forgive me. But God, I'm also asking you that you would give me the resources. I want to go back and rebuild the city. Why? He didn't burn it down. Following Christ is about, on some small level, taking responsibility for something that maybe you didn't even cause. Something you're like, I didn't do that. Why are people looking at me? I didn't do that. That wasn't my fault. But kingdom responsibility, a heart for the broken, for the lost. And then finally, it says, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Um, verse 7, he says, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Wow. Really? Can I just pray for a homeless person? Do I have to do all that? <laughs> cast out demons? What he's saying is, look, you have more power than you think you have. When you follow me, when you give yourself over to my love and my compassion, uh, when you give yourself over to following me in my mission, don't just follow me, follow me in my mission. And when you do that, there's actually more in you than you realize. Like, we really do need to discover what is this Holy Spirit thing for real? Like, if it's true that when, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was forgiven of my sins, but God is present on the inside of me, we better try to figure out more and more, what does that really mean? That, there, that God, God's love, God's power, God's peace, God's justice, God's grace is like in me through the Holy Spirit. We have the power to follow the mission of Jesus in this world so that the loss would be found and the hurting would be helped. Let me close with this story. Uh, I told you I'm in the superhero movie. That's already been established. So I saw the movie uh, Batman v Superman, uh, Dawn of Justice, like three times I've seen it. And I just bought the, um, the unlimited edition on DVD and Blu-ray because I guess there's some other scenes that, that didn't make it to the version of the movie that we saw at the movie theater. So I'm getting ready to watch that now too. But here's one thing I realized in, in the Batman v Superman movie. Wonder Woman was also in it too, all right? So um, if you've seen the movie before, if you haven't seen it, you should have seen it. It's too bad. I'm about to tell it. Okay, so um, 
in the movie, Batman is preparing to fight Superman. And so in his preparation, it's like he's lifting weights. He's, he's, so he's working out. But more than that, he's working on this special new Batman suit that he's going to put on so that he can fight Superman. And so he's working on this suit, like he's, he's working on stuff with his plane. He's got all these weapons and stuff he's working on because he needs all these gadgets. He needs all this outside stuff because he's about to fight Superman. And so they show these scenes of him preparing to fight Superman and to get ready. And then when he, when he finally gets ready, he's got like this huge like metal like bat suit on so that he can fight Superman. Now the one thing that, that after I watched the movie the third time, I was like, why did they never show any scenes of Superman preparing to fight Batman? Why didn't they show no scenes of him lifting weights and getting a new Superman suit to put on? Because here was the difference. Everything Batman was going to need to fight Superman was stuff he had to put on. Everything Superman needed for the fight was already inside him. (laughs) It was already in him. He didn't have to go build it up because it was already in him. I think Our issue as Christians might be we're always looking for some outside gadget to help us. We're like, well, maybe if we do this with the building. Well, maybe if we, maybe, maybe if we, and I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with expansion or anything like that, but maybe if we do this, maybe we add this on. Maybe, maybe if we change our logo. Maybe if we, maybe we should change our name. Maybe it's the name is keeping people from coming. There's this name to Peninsula Covenant Church. They just can't get through all that. And so maybe we just change the name to just the church and then they would come. No, everything you need to be the church you're supposed to be is already inside the church. Everything you need to be the man God wants you to be, to be the woman God wants you to be, to be the teenager God wants you to be, it's already in you. When you accepted Jesus, power came upon you. I know I don't have any words to to perfectly describe it. And you just have to believe it by faith. There is something in you that is stirring, something in you that is building itself up. It, it, It wants to come out. It wants to help you in battle. It wants to help you during times of stress. It wants to be there. Will you let it? It's already in you. It's it. You got it. You are Superman. You're Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. They didn't show no scenes of Wonder Woman getting ready. Wonder Woman just popped up. Wonder Woman really had a couple of scenes, but she really didn't show up till it was time to fight. And she was like, I'm ready. That's usually how women are. As soon as you done thinking you know the directions and realize you don't, then I'll show up. (laughs) Yeah, you keep on thinking you know, I'll show up when you finally figure out you don't. (laughs) Wonder Woman just showed up ready to fight. They didn't show no scenes of Wonder Woman and Superman preparing for the fight. Batman's the one trying to train. It's in you. Will you be the Wonder Woman and the Superman that God has created you to be so that you can be the supernatural church of the Bay Area? God, I thank you for this opportunity this weekend to speak to these, your beloved children. I pray for powerful, transformative things to come out of this church. God, you've already done so many. I mean, I, I know 
just from hanging around Pastor Gary Gadini, I, I, I know some of the stories of transformed lives, of, of people that wouldn't step out of a church, but they step into a health center, a fitness center, and through the hospitality and the smiles that they receive, they, they experience the mission of God. Through an after-school program, people that wouldn't step inside of a church, through an after-school program, they experience the love of God. God, I pray that there would even be more of your mission showing up through Peninsula Covenant Church. Maybe there's someone here today that they, um, they're here on this retreat, but they really just needed today to be a, a recommissioning, a rededication of following you. I pray that they would receive that right now. That right now they would know that they are forgiven, that they are loved, that they are favored, and that your holiness and righteousness is poured out for them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church Podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.